Welcome back to another episode of Fantastic Voyage, the David Bowie podcast. I'm Jesse. And I'm John. Today we are talking about, I guess, two things, but both are ball. We're going to be talking about the the EP that was put out, um, and also the uh, the BBC program. Uh, it was a play that Bowie acted in, as starring as Ball. Uh, both 1982. the The EP came out February 13th, so just ahead of the uh, the special that aired on BBC uh, March 2nd, 1982. Oh, the EP came out first, eh? Yeah. Uh, well, very much like two, three weeks before. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what, yeah, how are we going to talk about this? Are we, are we going to talk about the, uh, our first EP play, our first slash play, our first EP and first, well, second play episode now, I guess. Oh yeah, that's right. We just did one five minutes ago. Yeah. No, we didn't. It was, um, that was last week, week. a week ago. (laughs) We're not, we're we're not putting off Let's Dance. We love that album. (laughs) Yeah. We're doing double duty today, but you may have heard that. Elephant Man episode a week ago, or or not, maybe. Um, I, I assure you that it's a better... Um, it may not be a better episode than Just the Gigolo, which we had a lot of fun doing, but it's a better uh, subject than Just the Gigolo, so hopefully you gave Elephant Man a listen. Yeah. So, yeah, let's maybe... Let's just kind of... Co- should we cover them both at the same time and just kind of work our way through the story, or should we... Do you want to get into a song... Should we give a little, maybe we'll give a little background. Well, I guess like, I don't know, Ball's Hymn is kind of, that's the first song, right? Yeah. And that's kind of where the play starts, right? It's uh, it's it's a great intro, right? Like this is like, uh, it's almost like Ziggy Stardust, the song, but uh, of a different era and obviously of a different person. You know, it lays out the prototype, the main character. It's maybe not as good of a song in its own right, the way Ziggy is, but I think it serves a similar purpose in terms of what the song brings to the larger narrative scope of this particular venture. And I guess Ball's hymn during the play, it's shown in like stanzas, right? He'll do a stanza there, scene, right. stanza, scene, and it's kind of split up throughout the play, I believe until the very end. Yeah, it, the, it goes right through. You it, hear it, the last line of the song as like, that's how the the play ends, yeah. I believe. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I guess we should give a spoiler alert. We will be discussing... Um, so it's Bert, Bertolt Brecht... I can't say I that. I mean, Bertolt, if you're listening to a podcast episode of a play, right. you expect spoilers. So it, it, it's Brecht's uh, play, Ball. And it's... Um, should I give a little synopsis of it, maybe? Of how the sure. play goes? Um, it's basically like a early 20th century Andrew Tate Okay, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or Just going around being a, a lunatic. <laughs> right. And kind of like you said, it's kind of like Ziggy in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Maybe I won't give a full synopsis, but I think we'll just go through. Um, so basically, it, it starts out, he's like at a party, and uh, he, is it kind of like aristocrats? Are they, like, it seems like he's with an upper class kind of yeah. crowd. and. He's definitely not. He definitely doesn't look the part anyway. Um, but he's like a, he's a poet and a, a, a singer. He's kind of like a bard, if anything. You know, he's an entertainer. Um, 
and we learn quite away or, or right away that he's quite offensive, isn't he? He's, he's a bit of an oaf, um, especially when he moves to the pubs and starts talking about uh, women in a very uh, inappropriate manner with all the, you know, the bar flies. Um, but yeah, like it, to sum it up, I guess like he gets uh, his love interest pregnant, uh, belittles her on stage, leaves, uh, ends up like traveling Germany with his buddy. Uh, who he later kills, kills. <laughs> uh, because he found himself a girlfriend in Bollywood. Nope, yeah, I'm the only man that can get a girl. Yeah, kill you now. I'll kill you. Um, <laughs> right after I finish this song, though, <laughs> and uh, a little bit before he kills him, Eckhart. he strands his unborn child and a right. pregnant lady just to die right. in the middle of the. That's the drowned girl, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, just a, a horrible vile disgusting pig of a man he's terrible but yeah. <laughs> what's incredible though is that you know he, he's very uh he's got these ragged clothes he's he's vile he's he's got an unkept beard uh he's got rotten teeth they get progressively darker throughout the play too it's just great <laughs> like, he still kind of looks cool oh, he Bo- does. Bo- he's like incapable he plays this pig of a man who looks disgusting yeah, but he looks like he he looks like what Mumford and Sons tries to be. Yeah, you know, like like high like upper class uh, raggedy. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> and and it, I Bowie is just very uh, he's a rare specimen in that it just didn't really matter what you put on him, he would look good. Like, like somebody who was involved, I can't remember who, maybe he's a costume designer, but for for just a gigolo, they'd mention that anytime they put anything ridiculous on him, it looked like he'd invented a new style. And, like, it was impossible to make him look bad or make him look silly. You can give him, like, a baseball hat, a dress shirt, and, like, gym shorts. Yeah. And, you know, Yeezys. And, like, he would look (laughs) probably good in it. Right, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, even as this pig of a man that he's playing, Ball, Bowie looks cool. (laughs) So he was the right man for the, the play, I guess. Towards the end of the play, or like no, not the end of the play, uh, he flees after murdering his buddy for finding love, <laughs> and just kind of wanders around the woods and dies kind of alone. I mean, there's some like woodcutters or something that leave him. They he's got he's found shelter. He's found a deathbed, and despite like you're not supposed to like him, you're supposed to be disgusted by this man, but. That was kind of sad for him at the end. He died miserable and alone, and nobody wants but, that. But he had so many warnings, though. It was like well, his, the girl that he left to die said, you'll die alone and you'll hate it. And he went, sure, no, I won't, and just you know went along. I think it's the fact that they asked him what he was doing or what do you hear when you die or something. He says, I'm listening to the rain. And I thought, oh, that's kind of, you know, he's, I don't know. It just kind of, there was a bit of warmth in him for that split second. I'm not pulling for him at, at any moment in this play, but <laughs> anyway, it was a it was a very poetic way to to, to write the end, or or just a thing to say at the end. I'm listening to the rain as I, you know, as I'm on death's bed. He kind of speaks in rhyme and in poem throughout the uh, throughout the performance. He almost talks how an author writes. Like very descriptive and very like the words are chosen wonderfully and he he delivers them. Uh, imagine this: Bowie does a great job. Well, he was well read on Ball or on a Brett, I guess. Yeah. Which I mean that should come as no surprise because we just covered the 
the late 70s period, he'd already done Alabama Song, yeah. right? Uh, which was, I believe, co-written by Brett or... Yeah, co- I think it was co-written, yeah. yeah. So he'd been a you know a fan i think especially during the mid 70s he was really into early this period of german literature and whoever it was that put on this play they had kind of uh made an educated guess that that would have been the case and they were right and they were actually i think blown away i was reading that when bowie showed up that they kind of knew that he might be interested in it but like he was like uh, like an amateur scholar on this topic like he knew i think even more than a lot of the people who were more involved in like in the play already and they were kind of like oh wow like he really really knows it He's we made a very it. a really good decision here yeah that's which cool. is a relief because you know that you never know right but he he was he was perfect yeah it's funny how i think we said in another episode he would do his homework it wasn't one of those like maybe he brushed up on it heading into it he probably did uh, he, i think he had a lot to draw on from you know a decade of of reading like you said, this type of material, but he was not one to bullshit his mm-hmm. way. And if he built up that, if it was built up that he was something, there's, it's not surprising that he actually was that. And, you know, in fact, mm-hmm. it was Alan Clark was the director, um, of the BBC program. The, the songs are, are different, uh, in the play versus the EP. Um, like you said, the so Ball's Hymn, which is the first song on the album, it's yeah, it, it's kind of it acts as like a it's a, it takes like a narrative role. So he's yeah. he's singing with a banjo. It's just him and a banjo. There's no strings like you find on the EP, and it kind of just sets the stage for the following. It's almost like little vignettes, yeah, uh, spliced together. Some of them are right after the last one takes place. Some of them are a year later. I think some of them are even like two or three years later when he goes off into the woods with his buddy um so yeah it's it is different and uh, you know the the stripped down versions of that are mostly just him performing them on a banjo are good but the the superior audio or the studio versions which were done with visconti at hansa studios one of the last times i believe they'd collaborate until decades later the last time until i guess would be heathen would yeah. be the next time so that's 20 years 20 years yeah uh the last time you perform or record at hansa um right or in berlin in general and the last rca release as well that's hilarious that this was his parting gift for them <laughs> yeah like oh you, you thought that you know low and heroes were a tough sell yeah yours ball yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is incredible that's because so good <laughs> it was like uh I was reading, I believe it was uh, from, when in doubt, if I'm reading something, it's probably from the Pushing Ahead of the Dame blog or the, the books that Chris O'Leary's written, which are just the, the blogs verbatim put in, into a, a book. But uh, this had placed like pretty high on the UK like charts, like the single charts. It was in the 20s somewhere. And there was a, uh, th- th- I guess because this was like a 12-inch, like you see, I mean, somewhere at 7-inch, but I've got the 12-inch ver- uh, version. Apparently, because of how high it sold... It wasn't uncommon for this to like pop up and to play be played in clubs from time to time. Could you imagine being on the dance floor and and like they're playing balls hymn? Yeah. You have actually an interesting story from on your way here. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I was telling Johnny on my way over. Um, I was stopped at a red light, um, and to my left, a car pulled up and was playing a rap song very loud, and my other side, 
a car ro- rolled up, uh, no pun intended, playing Limp Biscuit. Probably just watched the Woodstock 99 documentary. There's probably. no other reason to be listening to Limp Biscuit <laughs> in 2022. <laughs> and Apologies if you're a Limp Biscuit fan. They were both significantly loud. So I just turned my music up and it was balls him. <laughs> <laughs> so there I am sitting at the red light trying to drown out, you know, rap to the left and Limp New Biscuit metal to, to the right. right. <laughs> Uh, that was not the song to use <laughs> to do that. No, it was. But I felt it's really... the only song to yeah, use. Yeah, I felt really cool doing it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah Ball's Him. It's a, it's a great song. Uh, really neat. Uh, he, Visconti, set up the Heroes 3 microphone that, yeah. gated reverb for the vocals again. So you get that same effect where when he opens up his voice, the second mic opens up or the third depending on how loud he's getting that must be during the immensely marvelous because yes. that's where it really and jumps. you can you can hear the 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 gated reverb that he yeah. creates with that which is really cool and those sort of like octave leaps like those are like one of bowie's many fortes like think yeah. star man and uh just there's so many songs where he does things like that like i also think of uh a word on a wing, right? Like, just because I don't believe don't mean I don't think as well. So I always viewed this EP as, like, a, a good... Re- like, this is very much, like... I could see people thinking, oh, this is a weird thing that Bowie did, but a lot of his vocal stylings have been like this, you know, throughout the years. Like, this EP is actually very much an extension of a lot of Bowie's earlier works, even though Absolutely. it might, it might yeah. appear on the surface as this weird thing. But if you listen to like the isolated vocals on this compared to just a regular track from the, the mid seventies or a quote unquote regular track from the mid seventies, I think you wouldn't find much difference. No, this, absolutely. He's yeah. always been a theater guy, right? His voice is just built for musical theater. It's that over the top and without sounding over the top, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, Sometimes you hear it's like uh, he doesn't overact in a in a way that you're going like okay this is a musical theater thing you're supposed to overact because yeah. you got to sell with a lot less. Um, he just manages to pull that off with with such ease. I think it's just the fact that he's so freaking talented. But well, yeah, he's he's like he's got, got a digital brain that can just like do pitches and stuff like that. Like if I tried to do this play, I, it would sound like I was overacting. Well, right, uh, yeah, that's just it. And, and I, maybe yeah. it's because we're used to hearing him sing like that that it doesn't sound like Bowie's putting on a, a show doing this. It's just like, oh, this just fits like a glove. Yeah. I think it fits like a glove regardless. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The cool strings on the uh, the EP version of Balls Him too that are. Um, you know, absent in the, the, or at least I think they are absent from the, the show. I can't quite remember the differences, but I would assume. Yeah, I, would assume I think it so. is. Yeah. Uh, the next song on the EP, uh, remembering Marie A. He doesn't say. I'm assuming it's pronounced Marie, not Mary, by the way it's spelled. Yeah. Uh, that's my favorite of the bunch. I absolutely love this. It's one. a very good one. It's yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, it's it, it's a wonderful song about you know kissing a girl in the i'm presuming in a park or something like that under the plum trees silent beneath the plum trees slender shade yeah um but he forgets the girl altogether by the end you know by halfway through the song and he does remember though the cloud in the sky and the plum tree and everything and he 
it's just he paints well not him it's not he didn't write it but the song paints such a beautiful picture um and kind of a sad one at the same time yeah um it, it's it's a very beautiful sounding song which is i guess this is common in bowie's career where the song sounds so beautiful but it's a bit of like a like an anti-romantic song because right. he, he forgets the girl can't remember what she looks like all he remembers is the cloud but uh Oh, there's that one part of the song. It's, but what her face was like, like that part. Yeah. Holy shit. That Shivers. is like one of the most beautiful yeah, moments really. like in his career to me. Like it, this is like, I, I, this is like pro- maybe his most underrated song because this is something that people probably just usually toss aside, right? Like, oh, what the hell is this ball bullshit? But if you actually listen to this, like this is one of the most beautiful songs he ever did. It really is. Um, it's, you know what? Like now, I'm gonna knock it down a, a, a bit, but I'm also kind of talking it up. It's 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 so good. But you know how uh, we were talking about on Life on Mars, where you actually played the clip where Rick Wakeman shows this is what the song should do, but this is what Bowie does when he writes a song. He takes he throws in this unorthodox chord change that just elevates it, and this song is kind of remind it reminds me of life on mars but without those crazy chord changes that really elevate it you know right but the film is a saddening bore part where you're like oh i wasn't expecting that this one you kind of expect the turns and it works wonderfully because it's supposed to work this way and that's why this is it's just written by the book kind of yeah really well but by the book and that's where i think it just it falls short of being like an elite Bowie song because it's, well, it's not written by Bowie and it's missing a little bit of that something that, that Bowie's able to add so many times. I was, uh, I was scavenging the rate your music page for the CP and it, it's just like Phil, I mean, not all of it, but it's just littered with tons of comments, you know, calling this EP shitty. And, you know, it's basically like, oh, I just, I like him when he was doing that experimental stuff on low, you know, like those types of people. Uh, yeah. And, to me, it's like, you sound like a fucking loser when you're talking like that. You know what I mean? Like, th- like this is beautiful music. And I think people have sort of trained themselves to only like electronic sounding or, you know, futuristic, experimental or outsider music. But while they're doing that, they're kind of failing to realize that this is another, fo- this is outsider music. Yeah, oh, you know? absolutely. Well, this is kind of the, like this is the only outsider music you really get from him in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what yeah. the eighties is lacking from Bowie. From so every, from a lot of people from a lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah, you're, you're, yeah, that's not, um, yeah, that's not a good way to look at it uh, to yeah. be like, Oh, I, I like the experimental shit he was doing. If this isn't experimental, right? Like, like yeah. okay, I just put out scary monsters. Now I'm going to do this. Like, it's just, it's not the experimental that you're used to. Like, Oh, let's get weird. You know, like, oh, yeah. the, the stones are now on acid and you get satanic majesties. Like, that's prototypical experimental. This is experimenting in your career if yeah. I've ever seen it. And, yeah, it's the it's little things like this that are kind of, that usually show up on albums that are maybe a little lacking on the, the next three. Yeah, it's, it, it, this is, it's beautiful and, and it's avant-garde in the sense that it's taking these you know, internet snobs out of their comfort zone to, <laughs> to a point where they don't even realize that they're contradicting themselves. And, uh, right. Yeah, I love it. Um, Ballad so, of the Adventurers 
Gonna flip the side, actually, I believe. Yeah, this is a short side. Balls him, remembering Marie A. Yep. Uh, Battle of the Adventurers. I think this one in the show would be second to last, right? Or last. This is song. the one right before he stabs Eckert, his right. buddy. Yeah. Um, this yeah. is the one he does, and he casts to dim the lights. Yeah, so he's not performing to the uh, the crowd anymore. He's just performing this one to like a few people at the table. It's, it's like in a pub. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he dims the lights down low and murders his friend after. <laughs> this is a great vocal again. Uh, he's really showing off his pipes on the in this song. In particular, the uh, the EP version. Mm-hmm. Some great lyrics in this one. Um, I think maybe even important in trying to understand Ball's character, which is very complicated, but there's that one passage where it says, uh, Every moment of his youth, apart from its dream, was forgotten. Gone the roof overhead, but the sky was always there. And that's interesting because like the sky seems to represent some sort of like higher power or greater meaning. Like some sort of... Uh, maybe reminder of the endless possibilities, perhaps, seen as, like, the sky is seemingly endless, right? When we stare at it, it goes yeah. farther than the eye can see. Well, and it's significant to him. He remembers the cloud, but not the girl. And I was just going to say, exactly, it ties yeah. into the last track as well. And then he mentions something about the wind throughout the, the play. I think he's talking about, oh, I can only feel it or something. But then at the end of the play, when he's left by himself, all of a sudden the sky the wind like that all you know matters so much to him what's he listened to on his deathbed the rain which mm-hmm. falls from the the sky yeah yeah um this is another strong song too like the, the you know the melody is great um it's strong too like his voice like he really belts it out at the end too um yeah well this is the newly voice makes a comeback here it why did you part from the mothers who nursed you as babies? Yeah. It, this was yeah. like David Bowie, nineteen sixty-seven. Yeah, it is all over again. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, this one's got that, maybe some of the most interesting uh, lyrical passages. There's another one I had written down here. I can't remember why. I, I didn't really have anything to add to it. Maybe when I read it, I'll figure it out. <laughs> At times, he still dreams of a small field he recognizes with a blue sky overhead and nothing else. I think it once again ties into the last track, right? Yeah. Just, oh, this, I mean, maybe the sky is like his, it's Ball's only conception of eternity or something like that, right? It's, uh, I don't know, th- this is a, a play that maybe needs to be watched a few times even. I don't know, because Ball's a very hard <laughs> thing to, to yeah. pinpoint. <laughs> well, and I don't have a deep history with this project. Um, it, like, I... The first time I ever heard it, like, I, I knew of it, and it was always that thing of Bowie's that I wasn't familiar with, up until the box set of this era came out, and I was listening to the Recall, I guess it would have been Recall 3, the Berlin one, and, yeah, it, it was, like, oh yeah, I guess I'm gonna listen to this now, and I listened, mm-hmm. I'm like, holy shit, like, this is really good. Yeah. And so I... It was kind of, it, this holds significance in, in my Bowie fandom is it was the last thing that I ever listened to that knew for the first time. Yeah. I mean, there's probably things I haven't heard. There's definitely things I haven't heard. Like bootlegs and stuff. Right. Like the last like official right. release. It was the yeah. last thing that like I should have known by now that I didn't. So yeah. I kind of 
was holding on to that in a way uh and then now it's it's gone and it's like okay now i've i've got most of it which is kind of a sad thing in a way i i may have mentioned that on another show before like there's I love watching Elvis movies for the camp value and a bit of nostalgia, and I grew up watching them. And this this movie kind of reminds me of an Elvis movie in a way. Um, but yeah, I, I've saved a few Elvis movies because once you watch them all, you've seen them all, and mm-hmm. you can't go back. So this was that last one that I hadn't listened to. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like an Elvis movie in the sense, like when he's performing in the one on stage like that one club owner is like he's in the back room and he's like you gotta get back out there they want you and he's gone it just like i've that's like in one third of elvis's movies <laughs> you know where he's performing he's got a residency at some restaurant and there's trouble afoot and it's kind of ball mania there too only instead of teenage girls chasing the beatles you've got a bunch of creepy old drunk men we want more chasing ball down yeah Anyways, that's my history with the album. Uh, was, was it kind of new to you, or did you listen oh, yeah. to it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I heard it probably around the time that you listened to it as well. Okay. Um, it's not something that I'd known for years by any means. It's only something that I, I've gotten into recently. And only something that I've played kind of continuously, like this week even. You know, like I've never really like gone, gone into it as far it. Yeah, as I did. Like I, I hadn't watched the play until this week. Yeah. Yeah, same. Which w- which is kind of important when you think about it. It, it is. really changes the the songs quite a bit. And the play is quite good. I I I will watch this again more than once, I think. It's it's short enough. It's about an hour long. Hour, yeah. And it's shot well. It's the the sets are are, are well done. Uh, the mood is it's a weird mood. It's you you feel like you're in a grimy pub for half of it and you're yeah ball like the way that ball kind of captures you like you said he he he's not supposed to look good but he's cool and you're not supposed to like him but you're watching him and, and it's every move because you don't know what he's going to do next or what he's going to say next and, and unfortunately it's he's a horrible horrible man this is the classic anti-hero though it, it, it yeah. exactly it's it, almost over the top though like they, they yeah. don't give you anything to like you know like like usually an anti-hero you see like a soft side in him and maybe i kind of did at the end uh, when he was dying but not really i mean usually you're kind of pulling for him to turn good or you're, you're pulling for an anti-hero to turn good this one you're, you're kinda, just what is he gonna do next you don't have much yeah. hope that he's got any kind of heart in him mm-hmm um, especially during the performance of, or I guess it's not the, uh, we'll save that for the last song, uh, Dirty the Song. Dr- oh, yeah. Let's maybe cover The Drowned Girl first. The Drowned Girl, yeah. Well, the Drowned Girl is another one of, I think this is like considered maybe the best. Um, I'm oh, kind of really? like you where I like remembering Marie A. This is the one that I heard first because I think I looked at like a Bowie list years ago, top Bowie songs. The, the Drowned Girl. Oh, what? cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and this is like kind of my, this is my introduction but this is a, a a great song. I mean, it's a chilling tale. Obviously, we yeah. kind of talked about it earlier. What what it's about, but uh, the depiction of this song. I mean, it's, it's the body of the the drowned girl who, in the play, is the girl that he impregnates and leaves to die. Emily, is it? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, her body just becomes so decomposed and eaten away by like slimy seaweed and sea creatures. It's a slow and lifeless trajectory. She's 
being washed away, rotted beyond repair, so much that she becomes nothing, and nothing to the point in which God can't even recognize her. There, there's the lyric, she gently slipped from God's thoughts, first with her face, then her hands, right at the last with her hair, leaving those corpse-choked rivers just one more corpse. Um, I don't know, that, that's just like, uh, the way they depict that, and the yeah. way they, they turn it into a... Uh, it's it's beyond tragic. Yeah, and, and that's a... You know, anybody can make a song about a girl that drowns, okay, whatever, you know, that's horrible. But this this depiction of it being such a lifeless trajectory to the point where God even forgets about her is just, uh, like I said, one of the most chilling tales I've really ever listened to. Yeah, so Brecht was inspired by the murder or assassination of Rosa Luxemburg, who was a Marxist um, revolutionary or activist uh, who was, I think... Uh, like beaten and shot just and dumped in a river uh, Mm -hmm. to decompose I think they maybe maybe the depiction the depiction is um, of finding the body was similar I'm not not totally sure I only really know that name because uh, when I you know uh, who else was born on your birthday Rosa Luxemburg is got shares of birth so I've always kind of known that name because it's popped up so many okay who is this person that's always popping up Mm -hmm. um yeah, so that's where the inspiration for the the song came from, anyway. There was the, uh, I believe, a black and white video that was shot for this. No, I don't think I've seen that. Um, I've, let's see, I want to make sure I'm getting that right. Drown Girl video, Bowie. Because I believe it was, yeah, it, it, so it's black and white because it was shot, it's the same uh, day or whatever, or the same session as the Wild as the Wind video. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. right, I... I, I read that. I didn't connect the dots that it was this one. Okay. I think, once again, that's an important connection that this isn't as out of the ordinary as you would think for Bowie. Like, you know, this... Because Wild as the Wind has got very similar aspects to, you know, the theatrical side of Wild as the Wind yep. ties in very well mm-hmm. with this... With this uh, awful, tragic song about a, a... A woman who's died, and not only has she died, but she's lost her identity. Um, <laughs> yeah. that That's scary more than anything. It's like, you know, you... You die, okay, you have a, a memory, you know, that people have of you or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you, you st- your identity is still intact, you know, as long as people that remember you are alive, but it seems to not be the case in this particular track. Well, yeah, t- to me, that that is the afterlife to me, is uh, how you live on in other people's memory, memories, or, you know, the impact you make on this planet. To me, that that's yeah. the after that that's life after death for me. It, 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 you know, not to get deep into the afterlife on our podcast, but that, <laughs> I, I just believe that that's you know, and that it's it's kind of an inspiring way to live, just to think the impact you make is what yeah. you leave behind. So to not leave any of that behind, that's uh, that that's frightening, very frightening. Yeah, and he delivers it in a very frightening tone too. He almost. Like you know, you really have to turn it up, and you have to really listen to the lyrics because it's it's sung in a very very low register, and it's it's almost inaudible at some points if you're not yeah. listening closely. He starts very low, but then I think a halfway right. he kind of jumps yeah. oct- octaves once again. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think it's that that line where he talks about uh, something about smoke. Uh, I can't remember the the exact lyric, but yeah, he he changes octaves once again it, it does start off very 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 low yeah 
All right. Let's let's do the quick little what is it? Forty seconds or something? Yeah, thirty-seven. Thirty-seven seconds. The dirty song. This is the one where he's belittling his pregnant. I'm not even going to say lover uh, or love interest or even interest. I don't know what. Well, it's it's weird because the she wh- is. he's irresistible to women. Yeah. <laughs> like literally. Like they, right. like they just they flock to him no matter and he's a piece of shit and he's not hiding it. Well, at the beginning of the play, there's the young girl, uh the one she'll be 13 in 2 days or something <laughs> and and you know, he that's where he performs uh Remembering Marie A in the club. So he says all these awful things and you know the 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 bar flies I'm just going to call them are going like, "Yeah, that's you know, that's what I can't remember what they say, but uh, they're basically just talking nonsense, and he's offending everybody, or all, the, or at least the women in the crowd. And then he performs a song, and that girl, the young girl, it ends up in bed with him. You know, it's like, yeah, it's very strange that he's able to. He's still some kind of a magnet, like. Uh, but yeah, so in this instance, he's uh, basically depicting the way that he treats women in the in the hay because that's my way (laughs) yeah it's it's a silly little it's david bowie 1967 again this this could have uh, oh yeah absolutely but maybe more than anything yeah Uh, um well ballad of the adventurers is very 67 yeah this one's right up there but this one's a little more marching band kind of rubber band little bombardier yes yeah got that that humor to it a little bit more right because that step first album i think has got a lot of humor to it okay picture him singing this song we are picturing the same face right now he's smiling he's got a bit of a chuckle as he's singing it and that's my way it's uh, this could have been on love you till tuesday <laughs> yeah like the the uh the vhs or whatever you want to call it, that compilation right yeah the the, With vid- the, mime. the music videos yeah, yeah. Um, any, yeah, anything else on the dirty, dirty song? <laughs> yeah, I've got nothing. It, uh, just, is it maybe just trivia? Is it his shortest song? Uh, gotta be. 37 I, seconds. I can't think of anything else at uh, the top of my head anyway. No, that's gotta be his shortest song. Yeah. I don't know off the top of my head. Is it Black Star, his longest? Or is it Station of Station? You know, I think it would have been Black Star, but they had to cut Black Star to 10 minutes exactly because to be a single on i don't know if it's apple or spotify one of the streaming services maybe both it has to be 10 minutes or less so they they actually cut it oh did was there like a album version and single version or did they have um, to condense both i'm not sure I, I may be wrong on that but i i recall reading something like that yeah this has got to be his shortest though yeah 957 length says for, Nine, Fly. for yeah. black star they cut it under 10 maybe yeah. they had to be under yeah, uh, if you haven't checked this album, or not album, EP, out, definitely uh, do it. it. Or if you're saving it to be the last thing that you've ever listened to by <laughs> Bowie, like I did for quite a while, uh, you know, it's it's all over once you do that. Yeah. But it's once I did listen to it, I was really happy. Yeah, I, I really want to hammer that point home, which I, I was touching on earlier, is that like, if you listen throughout his career if you listen to bowie's vocal cadence it's very easy to see how this is uh, very important like this is a very important moment 
in his career that this play and this EP is very important in the Bowie universe because his music has always been very much an extension of this, almost as much as rock and roll, or probably even equal parts. You know, he uses these kinds of vocal stylings all over the place, so I don't think of this EP whatsoever as not David Bowie music. This is very, very much David Bowie music. He's a theater guy. He's not just rock and roll. He, he uses a rock and roll band, and that's it's what got him famous, right? That's what the people want. And he still obviously really likes rock and roll and has an appreciation for it, but he's very much a theater guy also. And, and that's, I think, underrepresented maybe in his persona as we perceive it. So this EP is a great showcase and reminder, I think, of that side of David Bowie and should be considered essential and should be considered important and it shouldn't just be considered some weird thing that David Bowie did that isn't David Bowie music but as certain as something that certainly is David Bowie music yeah it, it is a weird thing that he did that's great everything he did was weird and you know great. for yeah. <laughs> a lot of his albums have weird sounds or yeah. weird to the the, the general public, they'd be like, well, this doesn't sound like what I'm used to. Right. And this is just another example of that. Well, like, like a Ziggy was that, you know, like I've got, like they should make t-shirts of this. Pe- like I've got a Ziggy shirt on. If they had ball, I would, ball I would shirts, rather wear a ball shirt. Absolutely. Uh, a, they need to start yeah. making that. Like, yeah, come on. <laughs> well, and there was a, I was listening to, it was remembering Marie and I thought to myself, oh, how this type of, epic sounding song in some parts would benefit from like Garson just playing the in the style of Lady Grinning Soul those arpeggios over I thought with that commanding you know I, I can picture him playing the bass keys and like oh man would that be good yeah and I thought about it yeah. I was like but yeah. but that exists <laughs> elsewhere exactly uh so if I want to listen to that I will I'll listen to Lady Grinning Soul if I want this this is this version this is this Bowie uh, you know like it doesn't all have to be and, and I think that's the issue with, you know, being um, a fan of something. At times you can get stuck in a rut where you want everything to be Ziggy. You know, like those people on Rate Your Own Music. Like, oh, this isn't low, so I don't like it. Well, if you want low, listen to low. <laughs> this is for, this yeah. is for, some, this is something, it's its own entity. And, you know, listen to this if you want to, but... If it's not, you don't have to. It doesn't erase everything else. It's like remixes. If you don't like the new remix, just listen to the old one, right? And and his wide array of influences made him who he was, and his wide array of sounds make him who he was, right? So I, I agree with you that I wouldn't want this any other way. I wouldn't right. want it with the 70s musicians on right. it. Yeah. Uh, maybe give me a live version later on. That would have been kind of cool just yeah. to have again, but not to erase the old one to have both because that's the beauty of live performances is you get alternate takes of things. Yeah. I, I think like with people and if they're a rare breed, but with people like David Bowie, like every step of the way is important. I mean, that's why we're doing this fucking insanely yeah. long podcast, right? I just think over and above all, like we as the Bowie community owe this EP a lot more appreciation than we've given it, uh, myself included. Yeah, totally. I think th- this is essential David Bowie 
this EP and this play, it only got one paragraph in the Mark Spitz biography, which is like a, considered a great and oh, that's that's a that's like the one that's a miss. Yeah, that's a total miss. One paragraph. Yeah. I I think that's a shame. I think uh, th- that that's doing a disservice to this EP's significance. So I think that that's something that we owe this EP. We need to correct that. Something else uh, maybe significant too is uh, I know that he continued Elephant Man after this event, but it's the first thing, it's the first new project he worked on after Lennon was killed. And he kind of went into, maybe not hiding, but his his residency at the Booth Theatre doing uh, Elephant Man ended uh, in January of 1981. And he doesn't do this uh, I'm not sure when it was recorded, uh, or I am sure I wrote it down. <laughs> That's why I do that. September uh, of '81. So he took a half a year uh, or more, actually, off to, you know, I guess plan his next move. And mm-hmm. this is what he chose to do. And I can't help but hear a ode to John in this, when he's in bed with that girl. He says, "Give us a kiss." Hard day's night. John in says the bathtub. That. Uh, no, John says that. Or to, to the, the old man on the bus. The, the angry old man on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was intentional because I've never heard that anywhere else. Maybe that's a saying in England. Give us a kiss. I mean, us. that makes any sense. We're saying us. Here he would say like, "Oh, can I have?" Or give, you know, you don't. Yeah, it's it's a different. We don't have that slang anyway. But because that stuck out so much on a hard day's night, it, when I heard it, I, I almost got like shivers down my spine. I thought he's. That's, you know, his buddy, right? And yeah. a huge influence on him uh, as well, obviously. And I think that was his little ode to John. That's interesting, too, because I, d- I don't remember that line. Maybe I was went to the washroom during that line or something. I, I missed it. Yeah. but Because uh, that's something that you don't really read about either, too. So yeah. you may have uncovered something. Okay. That does it. We've covered ball. Um, next up is... I had a ball doing so. <laughs> it is a uh, a bigger album uh, in terms of Bowie lore. Uh, I, I think a, a fan favorite album I would call Let's Dance, wouldn't you? I don't think so. I well, think that's the is it his... favorite of people who aren't into Bowie because they well, bought that's, it. Well, that's what I mean. The, uh, yeah, I guess I, I should have phrased that a bit better. It's it was it's his most high high selling yeah. right. So. Is it his highest selling record? Well, I feel like a fan... So, like, someone's... I, th- I believe it is, because it's his most commercial sounding. Um, I-, I do think it's his highest selling, but I think that, like, your diehard David Bowie fans, there'll be as many people... Maybe not as many. there would be more for Let's Dance, but, like, there's a Bowie fan that Black Tie, White Noise is their favorite album. Yeah, there's yeah, a Bowie fan that Hours yeah. is their <laughs> favorite album. And there's, like, not that many more that I think would consider Let's Dance their favorite. I think it's... The general public. That's the yeah, one that maybe they that's bought. the best. That's the better yeah, way to put it. His yeah. most known by the the masses, most known by people who are buying records in the eighties. Yeah, right. Maybe the music fans' favorite. The, uh, music as Re- a whole. Record buyers in the eighties. Right. Yeah, because yeah. I I even think like well, yeah, forty years mean. later, I, I don't yeah. think it's the one that I mean maybe Modern Love and Let's Dance, but I don't think people are. Like, I think, like, album cuts today from Ziggy are doing better than, you know, Criminal World, you know? Uh, yeah, which is a decent song, but... Uh, yeah, he's about to become a megastar, though. Uh, 
so we're going to cover it. I guess guess we'll include that in our podcast. Yeah. Uh, We'll be back with Let's Dance. Although the last time we said something like this, we did an episode uh, that was totally different. So so you you might get Let's Dance next, or you might get... uh, Christian F. Or... Did he do anything? Yeah, I guess we, we skipped over that, I guess. Um, um, is there anything else that he did? Well, actually, Under Pressure. Right, yeah. So... Did, under Pressure before this? Yes. I want to say? Yeah, he did. This is 82. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Under Pressure is before 82. Yeah, we skipped Under Pressure. Uh, we'll, we'll include that in the 80s wrap-up episode, I guess. As a talking point, not as a... Or maybe as a inclusion. We can, we, you know what? I think we should cover that out, that song. Um just we'll give it its few minutes or whatever also he did the cat people um soundtrack version uh for the movie cat people um which is totally different from the nile rogers stevie ray vaughn version but maybe we'll cover that one on side b of let's dance um so for the outro today uh, we're going to play a version of Remembering Marie A. by friend of the pod, cousin of the pod, Justin Waterman, uh, filling in for for me on the outros as I, you know, get, <laughs> I, I had some issues with the, the last one where my computer died in the middle of doing an Ashes to Ashes outro and I've been pissed off about it ever since. Uh, I'll have a new one out for Let's Dance, hopefully. Anyway, enjoy Justin. Uh, I've been Jesse. And I'm John. Thank you for listening. It was a day on that blue month, September. Silent beneath the plum tree's slender shade. I held her there, my love so pale and silent. As if she were a dream that must not fade. Above us in the sunning, shining heaven. There was a cloud my eyes dwelled long upon. It was quite white and high above us When I looked up and found it had gone Since that day so many moons in silence Have swum across the sky and gone below The plum trees surely have been chopped with firewood And if you ask, how does that love seem now? Admit, I really can't remember. Though I know what you are trying to say. But what that face looks like, I know no longer. Only know I kissed it on that day. As for the kiss, I long ago forgot it. But for the cloud that floated in the sky. I know this now and shall ever know it It was quite white and looming very high It may be that the plum trees still are blooming That woman's seventh child may now be there And though that cloud had only bloomed for a minute When I looked up, it had vanished